This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I am super honored to introduce Sikandar Atik, who is, I consider, a good friend of mine and someone who I look up to. I'm just going to read his bio so you guys know who he is, and then we're going to bring him in the studio and chop it up. So, Sikandar Atik, president of Next Equities, Sikandar leads the sourcing and oversight of all new growth and venture capital investments. In this capacity... He's also actively involved with a number of Next Equity portfolio companies, currently being tasked as president of Kepler Academy, an innovative new child care company, president of the Press Gallery, a tech-based textile cleaning company, and is a member of the board of Vitalize Health. Sikander has previously held positions in the investment management division of Goldman Sachs, was a successful two-time entrepreneur and started his career at FiberX Corporation. He's been recognized for his professional accomplishments with the next 10 Rising Star designation by Alberta Venture Magazine and was selected by the World Economic Forum as a global shaper. In addition to his professional life, Sikander serves as the chair of the Moskers Film Fest, the world's largest film festival that aims to change the way people see Muslims and is an avid hockey player. He received his BCom with distinction from the University of Alberta and his MBA from New York University, Stern School of Business, where he was an Insight Fellow and the president of the Stern Private Equity Club. Now, look at that. I am super excited to bring in Sikander. We're going to chop it up, talk about you know his journey as being becoming an entrepreneur, talking about his background a little bit, and then also diving into his existing companies and some of his struggles, challenges, but also some of the accomplishments in detail. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to Edmonton Public Schools Open House. Meet the staff and ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs. Explore your options and find the school that feels right. Find event dates and learn how to make the most out of your visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. We are back and we're with the man, Sikander. How you doing, man? What's up, dude? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation, me man. Too. Um, last time we, I guess, last time me and Kenny chatted with you was yeah. almost three years ago. That's crazy. Like, time flies, man. Was that, that, was, that must have been like right before covid Shut everything down, hey? Yeah, yeah. That was right before everything. Before we knew about bats <laughs> and, and all that they can bring. To yeah, the world. yeah. This is so. I, I'm, I'm curious. Before we get into like, obviously, you know, next and kind of like the businesses and stuff. Yeah. I want to get more into 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 you as a person, sure. you as an entrepreneur. Before we get into kind of the business stuff, let's do it. Um, you know, have you always had like the business sense? You always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like, take me back before you know the next equity days yeah, you know yeah, just yeah. kind of like you as an avid hockey player or yeah, just kind of sure. growing up you know talk talk to me about that yeah no so i i mean i grew up here in edmonton um but grew up in a very entrepreneurial household right my dad was a serial entrepreneur throughout his, his entire career so when i was growing up it was never something that was unfamiliar to me right like it was always something that was encouraged um i started my first business when i was 18 uh my second business when i was 20 
So, I mean, it was never, it was never like a, a, a scary thing to go out and try to do something on your own from a, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, but you know, I had a, had a pretty like normal childhood otherwise, right? Like you yeah. said, I played a lot of hockey. I, I, you know, liked hanging out with my buddies. I, but, and to be frank, like I actually, uh, I actually didn't necessarily think I was going to go into business right off the, the, the hop, Obviously, everybody dreams of playing pro hockey when they're a kid. But when when I was, you know, a, a chubby little ten year old, I realized <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. So, uh, so you know, but but I actually was really interested in law when I was like a, a kind of teenager and like in high school. And uh, my dad was always the type of guy who was like, uh, business is the pathway to whatever you want to do, right? So. He was like, listen, you can become a business person and hire a lawyer. And I was like, that's not quite the same thing (laughs) as what I'm trying to be, but fair enough. So he pushed me definitely into at least pursuing my BCom. But from there, it was just such a – I think that plus having that freedom to go chase uh, whatever business opportunity that I thought could be of interest. And again, these were not big businesses. These were literally – small things that I started with my buddies at in university. One was a, a, a clothing company where we literally bought a heat press and started uh, making custom t-shirts. And, you know, it was like, I think we each invested 200 bucks and got it going. Right. And then, yeah. so, but, but just having that, you know, mindset of it's whatever, just go for it. Right. Obviously there's a lot of privilege attached to that too. And, and, and I completely recognize that, but yeah, that mindset was, was definitely with me at, at a young age. And once I got comfortable with it, I, I kind of knew that this is, this is what I'm meant to do. Right? Mm. Yeah. So that was like when you started like kind of doing your own thing with some yeah. homies and you started kind of getting that like initial bit of, I guess, the business taste, taste yeah. Yeah. that's kind of where the spark kind of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, like I said, just seeing my dad kind of throughout my early life, you know, being able to build something from scratch, right? And he was always, you know, you and I have the pleasure of working together now, but we do a lot of service type businesses, right? Whereas him, he was very much about tangible goods, right? He was, and so seeing that, right, where you literally, he he had a fiberglass manufacturing company. So you'd take sand, silica, and clay, melt it in these giant furnaces, and you get this fiberglass out of it. Like seeing that was always like really inspiring to me, right? Where you could like literally turn something from like earth raw materials, right? Yeah. And 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 that has a substantial value. And then seeing the other side of the equation, which is you get to impact so many people's lives, right? By mm. being a strong business leader and having, you know, a strong corporate culture. So so those are always like in the back of my mind, like really kind of inspiring aspects of, of, of the business world. Um, but yeah, it was only when I actually dove in myself and got a taste for it and saw like, a, how hard it was, but then B, how rewarding it could be. Like, I'll never forget the first time I saw a complete stranger wearing a shirt that we made, you know? And like, yeah. I was like, that is sick, right? Yeah. So so that that kind of stays with you for sure. No, that, that that's awesome. And I think, you know, it's funny because sometimes we, you know, especially when you're growing up, you don't want to do exactly the same thing that your totally. that your parents do. Yeah. You know, I didn't I especially didn't want to anyway. But it's interesting for you because like obviously you're you've taken taking over and doing mm-hmm. some of the stuff and obviously uh, your dad has had a huge impact in your life for sure um so when you were growing up did your dad inv- how much did he involve you in his in his business yeah i was working there from when i was 
in not in high school. So so my aunt also is a business person, and she owns uh, a number of Marble Slab Creamery locations, nice. as you might know. So I worked my high school job was at Marble Slab, but as soon as like I was uh, in in undergrad, yeah, every summer I was working with him. But mm-hmm. he he like never ever handed anything to me. I was working in the back on the production floor for my summers until finally he thought, okay, this guy can do some like junior admin work. Yeah. And so then he put me in the front office. He made me wear a tie every day to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know it was it, it was like never his philosophy from day one is i'm never going to hand you anything and, right and so that definitely uh definitely gave me a, a certain level of i think respect for how how hard you have to work to uh, make things happen yeah um but yeah he involved me for sure and and, mm-hmm. and i you know i was actually just talking to my wife about this yesterday like he it was uh i was remembering a story of when we had like a large you know foreign investment opportunity overseas and the banker was coming it was from a i won't mention like the the exact circumstances but it was one of those like intimate you know like dinners that sealed the deal type right. of thing right? <laughs> what do you and, see on the movies yeah exactly and yeah. i was like 19 years old and i was like vividly remember this like it happened in our house maybe i was even younger it might have been like 17 yeah. but yeah he was made sure i was there for that even right so like definitely you know had me involved uh where he thought it would make an impact yeah on me for yeah. sure um and 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 plug myself into the business um as soon as he thought I was able to actually contribute yeah for sure and obviously you you got your MBA in in, in New York I did yeah. how was that journey of going through that and and learning more you know obviously diving deep into the yeah. business realm and and how has that played a role into kind of what you've been doing like the skills that you have now has the what would you say is like more important? Is it the more like, you know, you get your head into the dirt mm-hmm. and you, you learn from the experiences of business. Yeah. Like when you started the businesses early on. Yeah. Or is it, you know, do you need, did you, was that educational piece really crucial into, into where you are right now? Yeah. It's, uh, there's different parts of that. Right. So I would say in undergrad, the best experience I had, like from a business acumen standpoint, and, and this is probably also a product of me doing like a strategic management and marketing major. So right. I mean, it wasn't exactly yeah. like quant heavy, yeah. heavy work. But I would say the biggest, um, the biggest takeaway I had from my undergrad experience was starting my own businesses and being on the like the student association, like the BSA, and like having like real do do the work type of an attitude and see the results of it right. and have an impact on your real life. Like that for sure was my biggest takeaway. Um, doing my MBA was a completely different experience, right? Uh, you know, first of all, a school like Stern, like NYU, you get world-class professors and you get exposed to like a, a very global, like top of the top uh, peer group, right? The, the other students that are there are coming from all corners of the globe and uh, have all had a really interesting background to get to where they are, right? So the classroom experience was, was second to none, but the, 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 the true takeaway was the network, right? Mm-hmm. Both on the professor's side and on the, on the peer group side, right? Being right. able to just like, you know, go on trips or like stay up to like five in the morning with my buddies and like get in class at like 8 a.m. the next day <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and just like explore New York and get exposed to like amazing uh like 
you know, both internship opportunities as well as just rubbing shoulders with industry giants in, in, in New York City, it, it shrinks the world for you, mm-hmm. right? Like it makes the world so much more achievable in terms of making global impacts, right? Because, you know, from a city like that, Europe is on your front doorstep, you know, and it's not un- like it's it wouldn't even no one would flinch being like, hey, we should try this in Spain, you know, right. whereas sitting here in Edmonton, that's a massive bridge to cross. Right. Right. Um, so it, it was more so the mentality that you mm-hmm. learn being in a setting like that, which gives you like a crazy amount of ambition and a crazy belief that you can go do something if you can actually put together a proper plan behind it, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, obviously, New York, the the city that never sleeps and the hustler's mentality and the yeah. grind, that's all that, that, that encapsulates that, that city. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. We're going to be right back. Great stories are timeless. To be a great storyteller, one must bridge the gap between an alluring narrative and the audience. To pull with the heartstrings and to shape the imagination. At Q Films Media, we're more than just a media production agency. We are a powerhouse of creative individuals, content creators, who specialize in telling great stories. Stories that are intimate and kept closest to the heart. Stories that are powerful and inspiring, that spark boldness and action. We are Q Films Media. We're here to tell your story. We are always unseen. We're going to dive right into, you know, I want to get into the next portion of this, um, actually with the Moscars. Let's do it. Because I know, obviously, you've been involved with the Moscars for a long time. Yeah. And something you said in our previous conversation on the second floor, um, you were talking about how you wanted the Moscars to be targeted for more of a broader audience instead of, you know, Muslims by, you know, created by Muslims and and whatnot and just kind of a whole... uh, just for Muslims, right? right? You wanted it for a more broader audience. And so I'm curious, you know, that was our conversation three years ago, but yeah. has that kind of shaped where you you have brought in more of a broader audience? Are there more filmmakers, creatives? Has it changed? Is there a good, healthy mix now after the last few years? Yeah, or? I think there's a good, healthy mix. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're still looking to spotlight and platform Muslim artists, right? That's, For sure. That's number one. So, you know, if we can give a, a platform and give them exposure and access to resources and, you know, uh, connections to a broader audience, whether that's a broader Muslim audience or just a broader audience in general, um, that really, at the end of the day, uh, is, a, is a win in my books. But yeah, at, at, at its core, the Moscars was developed to build bridges between the Muslim and non-Muslim community, right? It was meant to combat against those misconceptions and stereotypes of Muslims, you know, only having a certain type of representation in, in media. And so, you know, if you're preaching to the converted, so to speak, then you're not really doing as big uh, of an impactful job as, you know, you likely are able to do. So from our perspective, yeah, getting diversity in the room is absolutely still central to what we're trying to accomplish. Um, If we look at the progression over the last three years, unfortunately, COVID knocked us out in both 2020 and 2021. Right. Uh, We had festivals lined up for both years. 
both times had to get pushed. Mm. Um, and so, and we purposely decided not to do a digital fest as well, even though I know a lot of film festivals decided to go that route. Uh, we still stayed very active. We still did a lot of digital programming. We still had our podcast up and running and we were growing pretty substantially with that. Right. Um, but the festival that we did have in, in, in March of 2022, which was kind of as quickly as we were able to do it, um, you know, the biggest aspect of that in terms of growth was we had over 250 creatives from all over North America, Muslim creatives, come and be a part of that festival, right? And so, you know, when we talk about that goal of building bridges between the Muslim and non-Muslim community, 100%, that is still very much there. But doing that piece of the puzzle, right, bringing creatives from within the community together, giving them a chance to collaborate, giving them a chance to make new connections, giving them a chance to, you know, learn that each other exists, right, to create that sense of community and network, that to me was incredibly important, right? And then from there, it goes into how do they then work together? How do we collectively work together to create content that will be exciting and entertaining and something that will be, you know, happily consumed by anyone, regardless of what their, you know, their religious background is or their ethnic background is or whatever the case is, right? We want to create world-class content that can't be ignored regardless of what religion you come from. I love that, man. And I want to get more into... What were your struggles when you initially started with with the Moscars? Like, what did that? What were what were those initial struggles? In you know, this is obviously you wanting to have a voice in the Moscars and yeah. being part of the group. And yeah, talk about talk to us about it, the initial kind sure. of challenges of building the the, yeah. the fest. Yeah, so I mean, I so I I was asked to join the board when I came back to Edmonton in 2015, and so I I joined a little reluctantly at first because you know I I literally I, t- I told them I said listen right now this is a festival that's kind of lost its way in my opinion you know at, at that point it was very much a small grassroots festival and I remember I came back to Edmonton in 2013 I think it was 2013 or 14 and. Um, Maz Jobrani was headlining that year and he's like a very famous comedian and it was at the Jubilee and the production value was like 10 out of 10 incredible um but like you could tell the crowd was there to see Maz and not the movies right Mm. and that to me like was really disappointing because at the end of the day we were a film festival right and we need to make sure that the films become the star of the show right and so you know that also made me think well if we're ever going to get to a space where this is not just a for us or by us for us type of situation, which again, nothing wrong with that. But if our aspirations are to try to build bridges with a broader community, we need to revert back to turning our attention to the films being the focus. Right. And so that was one of the biggest things that I wanted to do as, as we, as we joined the organization. And I knew as well at that point that, you know, in order to do that, you need more funding. So I joined as a partnerships director. Um, and then a, a few years later, uh, I was uh, I joined as as well. I didn't join. I was already part of the team, but I became the chair of the festival, um, and so I've been kind of in that role. And then brought on uh, one of my colleagues, Sophia, to co-chair with me. Um, and so the the real big focus over the last five years is how do we create a festival that's truly world class in all aspects, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we make sure that the talent that performs 
is world-class? How do we ensure that the films that are being showcased are world-class? How do we ensure that the production value is world-class? And how do we make sure that the experience that people have when they come, when they're there, and when they leave is also world-class, right? So, you know, there's no, we talk about this all the time, there's no reason why, you know, Park City, Utah can have Sundance, which draws, you know, tens of thousands of people from all over the industry and all over the world, and we can't have something similar here in Edmonton where the Rocky Mountains are in our backyard uh, for at least the Muslim community, right? If, right. You know, and if we can get enough of that, that world-class talent, enough of that world-class production, then there's absolutely no reason why someone who's not Muslim wouldn't also have an incredible experience in that situation, right? We make a very, very important differentiation between not being a festival about Islam but a, but instead a festival about Muslims, right? And 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 you might think, okay, well, what's the difference? Well, one, we're not trying to teach people about necessarily the religion. We're not trying to make any scholarly decisions about what's right or wrong within the religion. Nor do we have any ability to do that, right? We're not qualified to do that. What we're trying to do is showcase a community and showcase a people that are often misrepresented or underrepresented or miscategorized in some way in 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 mainstream adaptations and share through art some of the incredibly diverse stories uh from around the world that that muslims you know have to tell right and of course being muslim like so much of our lives are dictated by our faith right because it is very much a faith that impacts so much of your life, right? So, of course, stories will have influence from the religion, but we want to make sure that people who are not Muslim still feel comfortable attending because at the end of the day, like I said, if we're not able to have those conversations and build those bridges and show these stories to people who may not otherwise get exposed to them, then we're not combating those misconceptions and we're not creating those new opportunities of understanding between the Muslim and non-Muslim community. No, I I totally agree with you, man. And, you know, one thing I've been lucky enough to be at a few of the Moscars and just see the audience, see the creative talent Mm -hmm. that's being showcased. Like you said, world-class talent, incredible, incredible, um, you know, films. And same with music and, like, the the performers, man. Like, unreal, man. I had no clue before attending the Moscars how how many, you know, individuals out there who aren't maybe quote-unquote, on the big stage. Right. When they come to the Oscars and they have this platform for the 5 or 10 or 15 minutes that they perform, and you're like, wow. Like, oh, yeah. Unreal. No, it's it, Honestly, that's the thing, right? When you have this, when you have a, a community that doesn't get the spotlight as much, you're going to have so much hidden talent, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if we can shine that light a little bit, uh, there's some incredible, incredible people over there that we could, you know, potentially unearth. And that's the exciting part. And I think the industry is starting to take notice too, right? Where you've got shows like Rami, you got shows like Mo, you got, you know, mm-hmm. Hassan's doing his thing with his, uh, his, uh, one man show. Like they are commercially successful, award winning shows, right? Right. And I think people are starting to realize, like, my, you know, our friend Sarah Jahani is a writer. She says this all the time. She's like, there's enough stories about middle aged white men, right? We, you know, I think networks are starting to realize that having some diversity might actually make sense for them financially too. Yeah, for sure. No, I love that, man. And and why why get into the I guess the the film the filmmaking space or at least what what triggered the initial? Have you like loved film since oh, you were yeah. a kid or yeah. like what where did that interest or? Or, or passion, I guess, lie. Yeah, you know, I've always, always been like a huge movie buff. Um, and for me, the films is one of the best ways in which you can tell a story. 
it's also one of the best ways in which you can share an experience, right? Um, and I think when we're looking at how do we showcase, specifically with the mosque, is it when, we, when we're looking at how do we showcase stories of diversity in a way that's not preachy, right? Like you don't want it to feel like you're beating somebody over the head with like an educational thing or, you know, like with doctrine or anything like that, right? Right. If you can do it in a way that helps people, like makes people laugh or makes people, you know, feel something, you know, it's, it, it's probably no different for you with music. But for me, it's like the power of a of a well made story, right? That comes to life through the screen. Mm-hmm. It's hard to replicate, you know. And as I was like reflecting, because I've, I've been asked this question a few times, and like as I've been reflecting on a few years, I've also realized that it's it, it is in my blood. My mom grew up in a movie theater. Like her dad oh. owned one of the first Western movie theaters in Buxton. No way. And so her, their their house was on the top floor. So they, she used to tell us stories of them like on the weekends, just watching cartoons and eating cereal in the big screen with the oh, like wow. in front of the big screen because they lived there, right? And in the, on like 10 a.m. on a Saturday, there was no other movies playing, so they would put on cartoons and and just watch cartoons and and eat their cereal. So yeah, it's been in my blood since day one, I guess. Wow, that's that's incredible, man. Yeah, right. Have you ever wanted to make your own film i mean i used to like i used to be like very 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 amateur filmmaker with the moscars actually like that was my first exposure to the moscars was submitting films right right so like first i don't know four or five years of the moscars i would submit with Mm -hmm. a couple of my buddies and we'd make like goofball comedies and (laughs) have fun with it right yeah For, for me i think where i see my value now is not necessarily like on the kind of you know on the creative side but more on the production side right? right i think i've I've got some expertise that I could likely lend people as it relates to, you know, help. How how, how can we tell a story that is uh, is both powerful as well as you know successful? Because at the end of the day, I think that's the one thing that people you know shy away from talking about is that at the end of the day, this is a business, right? And if you want to have mainstream success, i.e., you want your story told in front of a large audience, you have to think about that commercial aspect of it too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and obviously. You know, I I mean, just seeing the last, you know, few years of, again, me being part of the Oscars, even before COVID, mm-hmm. you know, me submitting my my creative project and, and just seeing it grow and how it's evolved. Yeah. I think it's it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah. And, yeah. and we're, and we're and like, you know, the two things that we're really focusing on right now are how do we create more continual programming for people to enjoy throughout the year, right? Um, so, for example, next weekend we have an event uh, in partnership with Bomb Yeg and The Green Room um, and uh, Mac and McDougal to put on a um, both a market and a showcase of black Muslim artists. Mm. Um, so we've got a number of black Muslim vendors who are going to be, you know, selling their, whether it's like their artisanal goods or, 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 or their art, like whatever it is. Um, we've got about like a dozen vendors lined up and we've got Amir Suleiman who's like a Grammy nominated spoken word artist coming down to headline um, and we've got about three or four other performance artists who are going to be doing uh, doing a set there um, so like that is an example of something that we want to do to keep our keep our presence relevant for the community at large throughout the year um, we are hoping to do like a number of other events throughout the year too. everything from feature film screenings to um, you know comedy showcases to all sorts of stuff right the other thing you know that I think is super important that we're working on is how do we develop talent right mm-hmm. and so we just 
yesterday or two days ago announced um, our incubator program for for this year. And so we're going to be hoping to select, and this is going to be strictly around our Alberta-based creatives because that's an area where I think we still have some some room to grow, right? Right. We want to make sure the Muslim uh, creators here in Alberta have the same resources, same access to information and the same opportunity to succeed as every other creative in the world, right? So mm. we, uh, we've put together this program where over the course of the year, uh, we're first we're going to select somewhere between three and five creatives to work with. Um, and that like initial cohort is going to get put through different workshops throughout the year led by industry experts. So we've got like Emmy nominated uh, directors talking about, you know, how to storyboard. We've got Peabody, you know, nom- or winning writers talking about how to, you know, she'll give notes on your first draft script. Mm. Um, we've got, you know, uh, CSA winning actors going to give tips to your lead actor on things to think about. And, you know, how do you how do you even think about, um, um, you know, like staging and all sorts of stuff like that, right? We've got cinematographers going to be working with you on lighting and sound design. Actually, uh, have, a, have an Oscar-nominated uh, sound editor. Like, so, I mean, we've got this incredible plethora of expertise that we're going to be lending to local talent. Plus, uh, I don't know if I'm officially allowed to announce this yet, but I think I am. Fava has generously partnered with us to provide equipment to all of our different cohort members as well. So, you know, you don't have to worry about where am I going to get the money to pay for my sound equipment or whatever lighting equipment or even video cameras or whatever. So yeah. Fava is doing a pretty substantial partnership with us to help supply all of those things. Mm-hmm. So our hope is that by the end of this, we've got, you know, three to five incredible short films made by by local Alberta-based Muslim filmmakers. Um, so the applications for that are going to open actually today. Is it the 10th? Yeah, today. So they open today and go for another two and a half weeks. And then uh, by the end of this month, we'll hopefully pick our three to five cohort members. That's incredible, man. Yeah. And uh, I'm definitely going to apply. Just I'm, le- I'm letting I'm letting the, the audience know. But um Man, that's incredible. The The fact that you, and I was actually just going to bring this up on my next point, the fact that you are still focusing on Alberta-based creatives and giving them that opportunity, I think is incredible, man. We and, have to. Yeah, it's it's... Yeah. It's it's admirable, you know what I mean, and yeah, but yeah. it's also like necessary, you know. Like mm-hmm. we don't want this to turn into a thing where it's just, you know, one night of the year where we get a bit of a spotlight and then it's done, right? right. I think our responsibility is also making sure that our own backyard is taken care of, right? Mm. We're like huge boosters of the city of Edmonton when we go out and talk to different creators from all over the world. To tell them about, hey, you should come and perform at the Moscars or submit your film to the Moscars and here's all this amazing stuff that we do. And, you know, Edmonton's not just like a quick stopover. You should add two, three days, go to the mountains, have some fun. Like we created a whole like, you know, explore Edmonton package. Uh, but we're, we can't just be looking outside of our own borders, right? We've got to right. make sure that the talent here, because at, at the end of the day, we were we were born out of like this grassroots initiative. And if we forget where we come from, then, you know, it's very easy to lose sight of where you are trying to go. Right. right. Yeah, no, I love that, man. What's, uh, what's next for the Moscars? I mean, uh, obviously there's a bunch of different initiatives that you want to want to tackle, but, um, what is the next, like, maybe give me a bird's eye view of what the next like five to 10 years, if, if yeah. where you want to go. Uh, where the team wants to go yeah. for the Oscars. I mean, look, I, th- I think at the end of the day, 
growth is the big thing, right? We're, we've got some uh, substantial goals for this year. Um, we do have a festival plan for – we're going back to our fall schedule. Typically, we're a, fall, we're a fall festival. Last year, we did it in March only because October 2021 got canceled, and we didn't want to wait all the way till October 2022. But we're going to go back to our fall schedule. Um, the big thing for us, we got to grow up as an organization, right? Mm. As it stands right now, we're 100% volunteer run. We've got about 35 – 38 people all around North America who are part of the Moskers team. Uh, we need to hire an executive director. We need permanent space. We want to build out a maker space where people like you or whomever want to come you know, record a podcast or uh, use a film editing bay or do a photo shoot, like you have access to that equipment and, and a studio. So we want to create a makerspace for the Muslim community where where we can encourage uh, the cultivation of new talent and, and, and new content creation. Um, so so those are all, I, w- I wouldn't even say those are five-year goals. That's like my one-year goal, right? We want to get right. this in place now. Five years from now, we want to be that Sundance, right? We want to make sure that, this is on the radar of every single Muslim creative, and this, and it's on the radar for everybody in Edmonton who's interested in the arts, right? Regardless of what their faith is, regardless of what their, their background is, they should know that, oh, did you know we have the world's largest festival that celebrates Muslim creativity, you know? Mm-hmm. If that is something that we can make synonymous with the city of Edmonton, just like we're known for the fringe and, you know, or the yeah. biggest outside of Edinburgh, it's like, great, right? Let's be the biggest in the world for Muslim talent. That would be, for me, success in the next five years. Love that. We're going to be right back. This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which is on a mission to inform you about your city. Want to get a handle on Edmonton's growing innovation scene? Take a listen to Bloom, Taproot's newest podcast. Each week, hosts Emily Randall-Watson and Faiza Ranji will discuss the latest developments in efforts to solve new problems and diversify the economy. Find out who's investing in what, who's investing in whom, and what's on the horizon. Find Bloom wherever you listen to podcasts or visit bloom.taprootedmonton.ca. All right, we are back with the man, the myth. Sekunde, how you doing, man? I'm good. Red light is still on, so okay, this we is, are recording. We're, we're having some technical difficulties in here, so uh, I don't know what's happening. But Skunder I blame it on let, Kenny. I blame it on Kenny. Yeah, yeah, Kenny. It's to ghost us, and all of a sudden things just go haywire. Yeah, yeah. He should be here, um, Kenny. If you're listening to this, Sekunde wants you here. Yeah, right? and Omen's got a giant photo of you on his <laughs> desk, which is beautiful. I miss you, man. I really miss you, but. Um, Yo, let's dive into, you know, we dived in a little bit on the Moskers. I want to dive into into Next, let's do Next it. Equities. Obviously, I have the privilege and honor to work with you on a week-to-week yeah. basis. And the team, the Kepler team, the press team. Um, I want to quote something that you said, Uh-oh. you know, uh, <laughs> three years ago. That was on our podcast. But um, you were talking about kind of the industries that you uh, have tapped into, you know, with yeah. Next and the portfolio. And, um, you know, Kenny asks you, how do you go about kind of like, um, you know, when, you know, a company comes to you and, and shows you the, the shiny golden yeah. portfolio and, you know, the deals that come your way, you say, you said that, you know, deals that come your way are more like polished turds. <laughs> Let's go find the hidden gems. Yeah, agreed. And so Whoever I want to know. That, very smart. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know 
what your criteria is in terms of finding that hidden gem or what you kind of look for from 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 your standpoint yeah. or the team standpoint in finding kind of those hidden hidden gems yeah when we started looking at our our investment approach back in 2015 um it was kind of born out of necessity right especially because a lot of the deal flow that you see here in alberta is going to be in some way related to the energy sector and 2015 you know was coming off of this period where you had historic highs in like 2012 2013 2014 and then all of a sudden you're entering into this period where oil was crashing and no one knew what the hell was going to happen moving next and so we thought okay so many of these deals that we're seeing are related to the energy sector. They're going off of historic EBITDAs, which are incredibly high, and they're entering right. into this period of crazy uncertainty. So how do we find something that um, can still have substantial upside and value and some level of stability despite the fact that the general economy in Alberta was kind of going topsy-turvy, right? So yeah. So the 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 – the approach we took was, okay, let's find spaces where there's maybe a lack of innovation or at the very least, there's a lack of implementation of innovation, right? Maybe things have been done differently in other markets. It just hasn't been adapted that that way here in, in Edmonton or Alberta or Canada, whatever you want to say for the geographic scope. Um, and then we said, okay, where can we actually add value, right? And not just through capital. That's not exciting to us. We're not just looking to park money and then watch it grow. We want to actually get our hands dirty. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned, I grew up in an entrepreneurial and operational business environment. It's, I'm not from a quant heavy finance background yes like i did my mba in that and i worked on at goldman and and i have that knowledge but but my true my true like where i like to kind of get my hands dirty is is on strategies on marketing is on how do we figure out a way to you know implement new systems new technologies new processes to change the way people are thinking about some antiquated you know what we call dinosaur industry right and so so, so that really for us was like just a blank slate. We said, okay, start from scratch. What spaces are heavily, heavily lacking innovation? Usually those are spaces that have substantial fragmentation, right? You got tons of mom and pops who are so busy about just kind of taking care of tomorrow that they're not thinking about how do we innovate this space, right? And so that was our first kind of criteria, okay, heavily fragmented spaces, right? Then kind of digging further, we thought, okay, you know, where are there opportunities that are a little more recession-proof, right? Um, Things that people have to be worried about regardless of whether or not, you know, oil is at 50 bucks or oil is at 150 bucks. Yes, everything is going to get impacted by that here in Alberta, right? But are there spaces that might have a little bit more stability uh, despite that fact, right? And so that was kind of another thing that we were th- thinking about. And the third thing, as, as mentioned, the third kind of criteria was, can we add um, expertise to this business that go beyond just like adding, you know, adding financial acumen, right? So can we add operational expertise, marketing expertise, brand development, that sort of stuff? And so, you know, in a lot of these fragmented spaces, so, you know, press gallery with dry cleaning and, 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 and commercial laundry, 90, 90% of the time, these com- like smaller mom and pop operations didn't even have 
a pro- like didn't have a brand, right? It was like Joe's Cleaners, Bob's Cleaners, 59th Street Cleaners, 45th Street Cleaners, you know, like there's no brand. And then there was no, you know, digital presence. Very few of them had a website. None of them had social media, you know? So, right. so there was easy ways in which we could add a lot of value outside of just the capital. And then, yeah, the, the right. innovation was really the true trigger test for us is can we do something differentiated in this marketplace um, that sets us apart from the rest? No, I love that. I love that. And, you know, you know, take me back maybe to the initial, you know, obviously I, w- I want to talk, I want to get into Kepler because sure, that, you know, obviously it's been a journey. it's been a journey and January, 2018, yeah, right? First location. First, lo- first location. And now you're at 10. Yeah, man. Amazing. We, we are at 10. Yes, yes. we. And first off, congrats, because that's Thank an you. incredible feat. But take me back to the initial Initial beginnings, man, of Kepler. Yeah. Like, what were the struggles, the challenges? Oh, my God, so many. Maybe even touch on some of the small wins. Like, talk to me about yeah, that. Yeah, t- Kepler has been, like, a, a crazy ride, right? Like, so our, our initial philosophy was let's identify businesses to acquire and then build off of those, right? So for about better part of six months, close to a year, um, throughout 2016, we first we identified, okay, yeah, the childcare industry is one that kind of ticks the boxes, right? It's highly fragmented, you know, huge opportunity that we thought to innovate. Um, you know, we thought there could be a lot more focus on STEM-based uh, learning here in, in kind of Canada. We looked at other markets like the US, UK, Australia, where you had, you know, m- larger, more sophisticated players that had scaled several locations with consistent quality care amongst multiple locations. Whereas here in Canada, you had, you know, 98% of the market was like one to two location mom and pop businesses, right? Right. And so we thought, okay, there's something here, right? If we could create something of high quality, high caliber, and then replicate it amongst multiple locations, we've already differentiated from the herd, right? And then if we really hone in on how do we actually add holistic value to the child and to the family, you know, you know, cognitive development, physiological development, nutritional development, et cetera, et cetera, then again, you've created something that's highly differentiated from – you know, a lot of daycares that are out there that were just kind of honing in on one philosophy and oftentimes not even following that philosophy fully and, and, and that's calling it a day, right? So so to kind of go back, originally we were thinking let's find one to purchase, let's use it as our platform, let's use it as our operating partner because myself and my colleague at the time, we had no background in early education. We didn't know the first thing about childcare, right? So. We liked the space. We liked where we thought an opportunity could go, but we didn't have an operations background in in early education. So we thought, let's buy one. Let's use that as our platform. Let's build it. And so for about six to eight months, we spoke to probably over 100 independent childcare providers in the greater Edmonton area. And we really just couldn't find one that fit the niche the way we wanted to, right? We wanted to really find that unicorn that could be both business proficient as well as operationally proficient and we just couldn't find one that made sense both ways we came very close in fact we made an offer on one and they actually turned us down on the last day oh we wow were, we were in our lawyer's office ready to sign paperwork and uh they didn't show up they didn't show up to the meeting oh wow and it was literally the best thing that could have happened to us because when they no showed and we had a deal ready like we had already signed the LOI everything was ready this was the final paperwork when they no showed my colleague and I we just looked at each other like let's just do it ourselves right Mm. so 
that was that entrepreneurial spirit kicking in. And we, at that time, were already talking to a couple of people in the industry as kind of consultants. And we thought, let's just bring them on board full time, right? Let's, let's, let's build a team. Let's really hone in on how do we want to market this thing. Let's hone in on how do we want to develop a curriculum. Let's go speak to every expert we can speak to on developing a curriculum. So we spoke to like Tell Us World of Science. We spoke to, you know, there's a, a Mannix Foundation in Calgary. We spoke to them. We spoke to um, Harvard Center for uh, Child Development. We spoke wow. to all these like major resources. To, to, to learn how do you create a curriculum that's truly like holistic in, in its education experience. Um, and then we signed well, – we separately as well, like I had a bunch of buddies in New York who were in kind of brand building. And so worked very closely with them, came up with sort of the name, the logo, the look, the feel, everything. And everything was super intentional, right, mm-hmm. from how we wanted to build the spaces to – how we wanted to look, how we want our website to look, how we wanted to market ourselves, how we wanted to talk about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Very intentionally calling ourselves an academy, not a daycare, right? You know, calling right. them educators, not childcare workers, you know? Right. All these things were super intentional from, and even our names of our classrooms, we don't call them toddlers and pre-K, we call them explorers and navigators, right? So everything had a lot of thought behind it. And then, yeah, like you said, we opened our first location in January 2018. But I knew from day one, I, I, I said, this business doesn't make sense with less than 10 locations because we wanted to hire the best of the best. We wanted to bring on board operational expertise, curriculum expertise, educational expertise that could only be supported with scale, right? You can't hire that firepower and and pay them to just run one location. It doesn't make sense, Right. And so we built the team first, right? At three locations, we had, you know, Mary on board, who's probably one of the leading voices in childcare in the country. She was running 42 locations for the second largest player before she joined us. Incredible. Um, You know, we brought her on board. We brought a a curriculum lead on board. We had an amazing marketing team already. We brought an HR lead on board. We had this entire infrastructure and we had three locations, which was crazy. Way too overstaffed, right? (laughs) But it was intentional because we knew we had signed at that point already. In 2018, we had signed seven more leases. We knew we were going to get to 10 locations and, you know, come hell or high water, we were getting to 10 locations. So, yeah, so it was very, very, I guess, dumb, stupid, bold, whatever you want to call it. But right. we went we went for it right from day one right. and not without its challenges because sometimes you start running before you can walk and you stumble, right? And mm-hmm. and coming out of the gates, we probably did come out a little too hot, right? We, right? we weren't able to necessarily do everything as we wanted to, like as we were advertising. Like some of the curriculum aspect was falling behind. And, you know, we had a situation where um, – you know, at one point we had to have a real like look in the mirror and say, okay, and this is before we had brought Mary on board, before we had all these other people on board, we said, okay, listen, like if we actually want to do what we're saying we want to do, we've got to make that investment in people, right? And that's when we made these huge kind of substantial steps to build something that we could truly get really excited about and very proud about. And from that point forward, it's, you know, sky's the limit, three years in a row, top choice. We're 98 percent filled across the board for sure um you know 1400 children every day that come to kepler academy so it's incredible yeah man man, it's been quite the story ever since no for sure and you know i mean i see it on a week-to-week basis you know going through the keplers and and you know as a kid back in back in my day (laughs) i would have loved a kepler academy it's incredible absolutely like just the way again not only from the brand but just the, the the child experience the yeah. parent experience, yeah. the brand, 
Totally. You know, you you as a, not only a parent or just someone from the outside, you not only get that Kepler experience, but when you walk in the doors, when you when I see the children and everything's programmed, every every like you said, everything is intentional mm-hmm. from the brand to the actual experience when you walk in those doors, right? Hundred yeah. percent, and it has to be right. Yeah. It, it, your brand consists of every aspect of the client experience, right? From the first moment you make a phone call to inquire about, you know, what we're all about, to our visual, our, our, our digital presence online, to the first time you walk through our front doors, to the smell mm-hmm. of the location, like everything impacts your brand, right? And your reputation. And so that's why for us, you can't be unintentional around anything. Everything has to have a purpose. Everything has to have a reason for being. Um, and we need to make sure we treat everything with a similar level of respect, right? Because if you, if you, you know, if you have an amazing curriculum, but your place looks like absolute garbage, like it's, that's, no one's going to remember the curriculum. They're going to remember that your place looks like garbage. Right, right, right. Similarly, if your place looks pristine, but you've got no education, you've got no art on the wall, you've got no feeling of safety and comfort and security, then a parent is going to recognize that right away and run for the hills, right? So right. so everything, everything, and those are obviously two very obvious ones, but everything matters, right? Even the way the sure. place smells. Like if it smells right. like muffins in the morning because our yeah. cook on site is making fresh, you know, healthy muffins for the kids, like people notice, they yeah. notice right away. For sure. And and obviously you touched on the initial the initial challenges. What, what are some of the, the, the challenges you see now 10 locations in, few years into the game, you know, obviously the initial struggles, well, you didn't know, you weren't as knowledgeable in the space. Yeah. You didn't invest in those people, you know. What are some of the challenges you you see right now with with being at where you're at right now? Yeah, the big one is the landscape is changing. Right? I was going to say, is the yeah. industry, has the industry changed? The industry changed? has completely shifted over the last year and a half with uh, the introduction of the new affordability grant, right? So, it used to be, you know, if you're under a certain household income, which was way too low, it was only like $75,000 or $80,000, you would get some level of financial support from the government to assist with childcare, right? If you're above that, you're on your own, right? Um, over the last year and a half, and rightfully so, like as we we are in favor of the government, federal government, provincial government, all levels of government, decided that it was in the country's best interest to have more affordable daycare, right? So a lot of money has been poured in from the feds to assist with the pay of childcare for families, right? And so it happens in a few different ways. It happens through a grant that is administered through the government, and also they raise that subsidy level from 80 grand to like 180 grand, right? right. So, so that has been a huge shift because obviously now a lot more families can afford daycare, right? Which is mm. which is amazing. It allows people to uh, return to work for for oftentimes. Unfortunately, it's the mother who has to sacrifice her career, and so this allows uh, you know. Parents who would like to return to work, it gives them that opportunity. Obviously, if you have no desire to return to work, that's great too. Um, And similarly, it gives a child more children, um, which we're fully on board with. It gives a lot more children an opportunity to get the experience that organizations like Kepler can offer, right? Not just, you know, the socialization, which is obviously a huge component of early education, like socialization with other children and, 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 and so on and so forth. But, you know, the exposure to things like, you know, with Kenny, we have a full jujitsu program and, you yeah. know, things like yeah. our STEM-based curriculum and things like nutrition program and all that sort of stuff, right? So 
so, so it, we find it it's a, a huge win at the end of the day. But the challenge is that obviously whenever government funds are involved, it drastically reduces how you can spend money and how much money you can spend, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is a bit of a, a period right now that we're going through of transition where we're still trying to hammer out what does this look like from a growth perspective? What does it even look like for our existing locations, right? Because kind of, you know, for 2022 and for the first part of 2023, we've kind of been like stopgapped where, you know, childcare centers essentially had to agree not to raise their, their rates past their, you know, 2021 levels with a little bit of a inflation adjustment. Um, and the government just kind of, you know, wrote a check for families to reduce their fees accordingly, right? So, right. you know, depending on how old your child is, you just got a flat amount, regardless of what daycare you go to. Every daycare had to come in with, of, to, to remove that amount of money off of the fees, right? Now, as we move into like 2020, later parts 2023 and into 2024, there's a new formula being developed to determine how much funding you get from the government. And there's also going to be a requirement from daycares to... Um, agree not to charge families more than, you know, $15 a day to start and then eventually $10 a day. And there's also um, a level of, you know, requirement around, you know, what's covered and what's not covered. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, right? And so until we get that certainty, it's very difficult for us to know what our next step is going to be, right? right? Our intent was always to scale and to to continue to grow and to add this, you know, what we consider a really incredible service to communities outside of Edmonton even. You know, we're looking obviously all over Alberta for that, but, and then beyond. But yeah, it's such a, we're in such a period of transition for the industry right now Mm -hmm. in terms of who pays and how much they pay. That until we can figure that out, it's 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 a little bit of wait and see, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, before we jump into you know some advice and some stuff that you can that our audience could take away, wanted to just quickly touch on the press gallery, sure, because I know that's a big por- uh, uh, piece in your portfolio, and you know we've been working on it for the last, yeah, well, at least me being involved in the last year and a half, um, you know. Talk to me how you're how you're changing the game, especially in the industry of of, of dry cleaning and laundry. Yeah, it's uh, not exactly the sexiest industry when you initially <laughs> think about it. But yeah, again, like we were talking about earlier with Kepler, even right, like same, very similar type of circumstances that line up in that space as it did in the childcare space. Highly fragmented, very little brand, very little innovation. You know, big opportunity for someone to come in and try to do something a little different, right? So. For us, the big thing there was how do we utilize technology to our advantage as well as to the consumer's advantage, right? So, you know, the, one of the first things we did as soon as we bought the company, and that in that situation, we did buy an existing company. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things we did was launch an app, right? And we launched an right. app with a developer out of Chicago. And, you know, the intent was, okay, we're going to have people essentially rather than having to go to their neighborhood dry cleaner, you can just push a button schedule a pick up and drop off wherever you are and and, and yeah. away you go right and so for years we had an app and then recently as you know we've pivoted to now do text message and we have a web platform right and i think what we found is like as we iterated as we went through it is that you know apps are something that people are getting a little bit more fatigued about right and so if we can remove the friction but still provide the same service right which is you know a delivery based pick up and drop off clothes cleaning service and and you know dry cleaning is at its core but the other aspect of this which we've evolved and we've had to realize is that 
dry cleaning is dying, right? Fewer and right. fewer people wear suits to work every day. Right. And I think if you don't recognize that fact and you're a dry cleaner, you're going to be very quickly extinct. And right. so something that we've been talking about and something that we've been working on for quite some time is how do we start doing things that go be above and beyond just dry clean only clothes, right? So how do we start doing specialty cleaning, right? Whether that's leathers and suede and purses and shoes and all sorts of different textile-based garments, you know, how do we get into that? And then how do we get into subscription laundry service, right? And, you know, we've been kicking that around for years. I'm very confident that in the next month or two, we'll have a uh, a pretty substantial launch around that. Um, but again, it's one of those things where it's like the only chore that people have yet to outsource, right? For whatever reason, you know, you outsource your cooking, you outsource your driving, you outsource, you know, cleaning at home a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but... For some reason, people still do their laundry all the time, and yeah. you know, we've we've kind of we're, our thesis is that if we can create a value service that's convenient, that's cost effective, and that is able to provide a service a, a, a quality of service that you know is substantially better than doing it at home, well then why wouldn't you outsource your laundry as well, right? And so, Subscription laundry is something that I think is is going to be a huge opportunity for us as we move forward. But yeah, it, it's just constantly thinking about how do we innovate, how do we create technology, uh, both for the consumer that's easier to use as an interface, as well as on our back end through automating our facility and our plant and all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, no, I love that man, and I think uh, I, I think like you said, if 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 you're not if you if you don't see the changes, if you're not constantly adapting or or, or evolving, if you will, yeah, um, to the changes, and looking at other other things such as specialty specialty cleaning or doing stuff that's different, or at least going into the trend of uh, of of the yeah, industry, it's adapt or die, right? That's it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's all that matters. Uh, Northern Fresh Farms. Yes, sir. Another maybe one. Let's let's touch on that yeah. vertical farm. Yeah. You know, maybe let's touch base on that just quickly. You know, maybe give 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 the the audience a little bit of, of sure. backstory and 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 where that idea came from and and how it's going about. Yeah. So this was, you know, interesting way it fell into our lap a little bit. We actually had a building in Leduke which we were just renting out, and we had a tenant in there which was in the vertical farming space. And back in 2019, they're running into some financial difficulties. I think they weren't exactly focused on the actual business side of the equation. They were a little distracted with other things. Um, long story short, they they stopped paying rent for months and months and months. And we thought, okay, let's figure out a way to make it work with them. Let's cut a deal. Let's figure out, you know, let's help them out a little bit. And so we had a deal lined up. And the day they were supposed to, you know, essentially, sign, it seems to be a recurring theme. But <laughs> the day they were supposed to, like, show up to actually make their first payment and sign that that deal, just they just didn't show up, like, to their own facility. They didn't show up. And right. no one showed up. And no one ever showed up after that. Wow. And so we were like, okay, well, what the hell do we do? This is the, you know, Western Canada at that time. And I think still is the largest uh, hydroponic facility in Western Canada at 40,000 square feet, 600 grow wow. beds, massive, right? Yep. And they left all their equipment. That was the other thing. We're like, okay, where the hell are they? And what do we do with all this equipment? Yeah. And so, you know, initially we were thinking, well, we, we realized that the bank actually owned all the equipment. They didn't actually have much equity in there at all. And so initially we thought, okay, well, you know, the bank will just liquidate this and we'll just lease up our space again. But, 
you know, again, my dad was super entrepreneurial right till his last day. And he, uh, he was, he looked at it and he was like, why would we do that? Like, let's, let's just do this ourselves. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, we've got the facility, we've, yeah. we've, we've built out so much infrastructure for these guys. Like we had to do yeah. all this plumbing and all this electricity work for them and all this stuff. And, you know, we looked at it and thought if we strip out all this equipment, if the bank strips it all out, it's going to be next worth worth ne- next to nothing, right? You're mm-hmm. liquidating, you know, assets like that. But in here, it's worth something. Like you've got an amazing facility that can actually grow high-quality hydroponic, you know, uh, leafy greens and, and herbs and all sorts of stuff. And so, so, yeah, we thought, you know what, let's do it ourselves. And so we made a deal with the bank. We you know, took over all the equipment. Um, mm-hmm. And in 2021, my dad was leading the charge. And, you know, he, his dream was to get it up and running and, and ready to go. Unfortunately, he passed away shortly after. So we jumped in and said, okay, let's let's continue and see what we can make of this. And so, you know, now we've got an amazing facility. We've got amazing product. We've got all the certifications. We're ready to go. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of getting it into people's hands at this point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, no, and I'm... Like I said, I'm honored to be a part of it, you know, on a week to week, on a daily basis. So, um, you know, talking about that uh, on terms of, you know, obviously running, uh, running a firm such as, such as what you have and in multiple different industries, obviously multiple different challenges and, and, and things that come, come about, um, how have you been able to, you know, manage your time as an entrepreneur, right? As a, you know, as a person and, and, and how your focus has you know, obviously it's a little split based on company, based on what's happening on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis. So how do you manage or how, how do you operate as, a, as an entrepreneur with, with multiple companies, multiple, multiple ventures, but also keeping your eye on the ball of the market, looking at other innovative, mm-hmm. um, you know, ways of, of innovation mm-hmm. and, and, and having a vision for, 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 for the companies? How do you balance the... Yeah. the the operations, the day to day, but also the vision and the direction of yeah. all the companies. How do you how do you do it personally? You have to have a good team, right? right. That's all it comes down to is make sure you you know my the way I look at it. My job is two things: is is assemble a senior level team that I can trust and that I think has the capability and acumen to actually do what they're being hired to do. Yep. And then provide them enough resources. Uh, whether that's like through opportunity, whether that's through just like their surrounding team, whatever they require, uh, provide them those resources to actually go out and do their job, right? If I can do those two things, then I don't have to worry as much about crossing T's and dotting I's, right? I can let my operations team, I can let my marketing team, I can let my finance team, I can let my social and digital team go and make magic happen, and, and, you know, the way I look at it, it's like I try to block as much noise for them as possible, right? So that they don't have to deal with, you know, the financing and the banks and all that nonsense. And, you know, and it also allows me to, rather than being so bogged down in the weeds, to start thinking about, okay, what, what can we do next, right? right? Like, what is the opportunity strategically for a company like Kepler in this environment? What is the opportunity for Prescott? And, you know, you know, we've got a whole bunch of different things that are in the, in the fire. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's, there's all sorts of ways in which we can grow these businesses um and if i'm actually allowed to kind of take a step back and look at it from ten thousand feet um we can start to actually look at implementing some of those things but i can only do that 
if I've got an operations team that I can trust, right? And I've got mm-hmm. a sales team that I can trust. And I know that everybody's on the same page as it relates to what is the vision of these companies? What is our opportunity with each of these companies, right? And so, you know, that for me is is the number one thing because no one person can do it at all by themselves, right? right? Not even close. And if, you know, if I didn't have someone like you or someone like Mary or someone like, you know, uh, Habib at most and, you know, right. keep that press gallery and Horm running, uh, you know, all the technical stuff and like you know we've got almost 350 people on our team across our different companies and Mm -hmm. you know that's 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 who allows me to now look kind of at that high level to see where is the opportunity beyond the day-to-day yeah 100 percent. yeah what's your definition of success brother what do you see um you know for either you know for the companies and that for me it's like you know it's easy to say, you know, like, all right, like financially, that's sure. obviously, you know, that's a success or whatever the case may be. But like for you, I, I've noticed that, that I feel like you focus more on impact. Yeah. 100%. Right. Impact and people. Uh, that's, that's what I've, I've learned yeah. from you. So I want to know what your definition of success is. No, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's not a financial metric for me. For me, it truly is, can we leave a lasting legacy in literally everything that we're doing, right? With Moskers, with, you know, each of these businesses, with, you know, any community activity that I'm trying to do, you know, how can we try to help people? How do we try to leave, you know, um, something sustainable that can actually do good for the world beyond, you know, a short kind of fragment of time, right? How do we create, whether it's jobs, right? Business opportunities Mm -hmm. for individuals, you know, how do we create career paths for people? How do we create, you know, um, uh, ways in which we can change perceptions around Muslims? How do we, you know, how do we do things that actually make a difference to society rather than just, you know, how do I line my pocket, right? Because it's so easy to just like park capital and watch it slowly grow over time and, you know, that's it, right? Right. Um, But that's not at all... And again, obviously, like that's obvious. That's not the common scenario. That's I'm saying, like in it, it, from from a very privileged position. But like for me, that wouldn't be exciting, even if I had that ability, right? And I don't have that ability. I'm still young in my career. I'm still like very much in the hustle mode of even like my own financial uh, success, right? Sure. Um, but even if I did, it would be a scenario whereby. It would just not be exciting. You right. know? For me, it's about how do we actually create something? How do we make something that's impactful for those either involved mm-hmm. or those uh, or those who what we're doing is going to directly benefit, right? And that would be, you know, for example, things like the Moskers. Yeah. Man, I love that. Yeah. Man. Uh, one, uh, you know, before we wrap up, um, there's going to be one, one or two more questions I have. Sure. But, um What's something that people don't know about you? And and what I mean by that is obviously everyone kind of knows the Oscars a little bit, you know, kind of your career background <laughs> and kind of that. But what's something that people don't know about you? Could be personal, could oh, be man. could be business, could be relationship. Yeah, that's a good that, that you're willing oh, to share. Yeah, obviously. yeah, no, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm a pretty open book. I mean, I think the one thing that like 
It's funny because I think people on the Moscow's kind of know my business side, but people on my business side don't really know my creative side, right? Yeah. Um, so it's always interesting. I always get like a raised eyebrow. There's a like, halal oh, yeah. gap there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I also run this film festival. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like, where did that come from? So that's always something that turns people's heads. But yeah, if, if you kind of already know that side of me, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't, I'm pretty open book. I mean, yeah. recently got married. I guess people who don't know me <laughs> yeah. don't know that. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty. I try to stay as rounded as possible and grounded as possible too, right? Like, For sure. You know, I'm I'm not like uh, like I I still play hockey three times a week. You yeah. Know, I'm still involved with the Moscars. Like I'm still obviously like trying to make sure that. I've got time for my new wife and my family and sure, all that yeah. stuff. So, like, for me, it's more so about, you know, how do I how do I balance those sides of my life yeah. rather than, you know, any uh, secret passion project or anything that yeah, I'm working yeah. on on the side, you know? For sure. Is there any industry or yeah. anything that you've wanted to get into but you just don't have the capacity right now? Well, I mean, I want to marry – eventually, I want to marry the two sides of my my, my kind of day-to-day, right? Like, yeah. I want to find a way to executive produce something at some point where I can take my business acumen. I can take sort of the lessons that I've learned from, from the financial world and from, you know, the operation and the entrepreneurial side of my equation and marry it with storytellers to find a way to better get their – their stories told right right so that's something that you know kind of if you were to to ask me like personally like 10 years 15 years down the road you know if we've had some amazing successes and i'm able to kind of take more of a step back from the 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 day-to-day running these businesses you know if if i had my way i'd be i'd be working alongside people like you to say okay you've got an amazing opportunity you've got an amazing project or story you want to tell or project you're working on how do we make it happen, right? Like, mm. what are the roadways to get that done? Whether it's connections, whether it's financing, whether it's staying on budget, whether it's right. whatever, right? Like, right. what are the different lessons that I've learned through my career that I can help you with as someone who might not have that same background? Man, I love that. Let's do it. Let's executive. Hey, man, let's, pro- let's, let's make it. Let's happen. let's make a project. No, man. I no. That's. That's fantastic, man. No, seriously, Sikander, man, I appreciate you. It's an honor to have Always you. Always fun, man. In, Always fun. In the studio. And um, I guess lastly, if anyone wants to connect with you, our audience wants to connect with you, you know, where can they find you? You know, plug plug yourself in. Sure. Obviously, check out the Halal Gap, the Halal Gap podcast. Yes, please. Yeah, no, through the Moscars Film Festival, we have the Halal Gap podcast, which is available everywhere you find your podcasts. Um, so please do check us out on, on that. We drop an episode every second Monday. Uh, for Moscars-related stuff, you can hit me up at scunder at themoscars.com. Uh, for work-related stuff, you can hit me up at scunder.atik at nextequities.com. Um, Next Equities is the name of our firm. So you're you're more than welcome to come to check out our website or anything that might pique your interest around any of our businesses. But yeah, for the Moscars at uh, Moscars Film Fest at pretty much all of the different social medias. Perfect. Last last words. Any anything before this we wrap has been it up? Fun man. Go go the Universal Radio Network. Let's get it. Let's get it. <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for the conversation, man. Hey, I learned a lot. Pleasure, bro. And uh, yeah. And, and Kenny, we miss you. We miss you, Kenny. <laughs>